well, hey, this is Eric. I'm one of the ministers at Regency. I just wanted to thank you for checking out this message. We're praying that God uses this message to draw your heart closer to Him. If you're ever in the Mobile area, we want to invite you to join us for worship on Sundays at 10 a.m. If you'd like to find out more information about Regency or to check out some other resources, visit our website at regencycc.org. Good morning. Uh, we just got back from camp on Friday, and we had a good week at camp. It was kind of nice um, to have kind of our first thing back in a long time with our week at Gulf Coast Bible Camp. And so this is our group that we took. In that group, we've got two, uh, Haley Bruton, uh, who is part of the family with Mark and Nita Bruton, who just placed membership here at Regency, and she was baptized along with Braxton Freifogel. And so we were really excited to celebrate with those two on their decisions to give their life to Christ. Um, one of the neat things about camp this past week is I don't think COVID was mentioned one time, which was kind of refreshing, um, and it was great to be able to kind of get back to doing some normal youth group things together. Um, we've got, with our youth group, we've got a number of things happening throughout the summer. One is our mission trip that's coming up uh, July 11th through the 15th, if your student is interested in joining us for that. And tonight we've got a devotional from 6 to 8 p.m. While we were at camp that this past week, um, we were talking about the theme of gold and kind of focusing a little bit with the Olympics coming up on this idea of running the race of faith. And so our classes and our worship times were focused on this idea. And I spoke the first night, and I told a story that I wanted to tell to you this morning. And part of the story, a little bit, that I want to focus on this morning is the perspective I had as a father in what happened at this event. And today is Father's Day, uh, so happy Father's Day to those of you that are fathers out there. I've always found it interesting the different focus, focuses we have on Mother's Day versus Father's Day. Father's Day, the focus tends to be on tools and uh, lawn stuff, and I don't really understand a lot of those things, but one of the things that I do get that's focused on a lot today is the dad jokes. Man, I love a good dad joke, and I'm not really going to tell any this morning, although I will say, do you know where dad jokes are stored? They're stored in the dad abase, the database. See, in that, like, that like, half-hearted laugh and that groan, that's what I, I live in that. I love that. I, I live for those things. I like to lean into the groans as well. And so I enjoy a good dad joke, and I hope that you are getting to celebrate Father's Day as well. Um, so I had kind of a father moment a few months ago when our oldest son, Ethan, was doing this elementary track, and they had their first event. And so I was going to go to this track event. Now, it had been a long time since I'd been to a track event, and I kind of realized why. Uh, I came to the track event, and it was at this large high school in town. And so we go, and Crystal was working at the time, and so she's at work, and I decide to bring with me our other two children, which was a mistake. And so I have all three of our kids there, and Ethan goes to get ready with his team. And I can already tell this is not going well with how my six and five-year-old are behaving. And so I am totally unprepared for this moment. My phone is, is barely charged at all. Um, I have no other electronic devices with me. No goldfish, no fruit snacks or Capri Suns. I have no 
toys. I, what have I done? This is a, a terrible decision I've made. And so Ethan gets dropped off with his team. I try to go up as high into the bleachers away from everybody else as I can with my other two children, and we go to sit down. And so the track meet begins, and I realize, oh, man, I've got Ethan's water bottle with me. So I make a decision which turned out to be kind of a poor decision. I decide, instead of us all three going down to give it to him, I'm going to send my daughter, my six-year-old Emma Jane, with the water bottle to go give it to him. And so I send her down. I try to give her the instructions of what to do. And so she goes down the bleachers, and she goes to where we had originally dropped him off, which was kind of the middle of the track. And so she crosses the track to the grassy area. But what she doesn't realize is that Ethan is no longer there. He has moved to the side of the bleachers for this event that they're doing. And so I see her go down, going to the wrong place, and I'm like, what? What have I done? This is, is going to go very badly. Because as all this is happening, there are races that are happening. And so it's like a game of Frogger. Like she gets there to the middle, and it's fine. And then she gets over to where Ethan is, and it's fine. But then I see it happen. There is a race that's happening with like these fifth and sixth grade boys. And... I realize that she does not realize this, and she runs out onto the track. And I have a video of this because Ethan was, or uh, Houston was holding my phone and just happened to be recording. And so if you want to see the video later, you can see her enter into this race that's already happening, and she's in the bottom lane. And I'm thinking a couple things here. One is she may win. It's possible she may win this right race. Uh, Stephen Walker is down there at the bottom and he sees what's happening. He's trying to get her attention and maybe reach out and grab her, but she's running. You can hear the panic in my voice on the video as I'm calling out to her from way too high. And she runs, you see the boys running, and the whole time I'm like, they're going to trip up, it's going to ruin the race, people are going to be angry and upset about this, I am failing as a father. And then she runs with these other boys and she finally escapes the race and the race continues and she runs up to the top and I'm trying to keep it together um, and I'm like, Emma Jane, you like you were in the middle of the race and she was like, I had no idea that I was in the middle of the race. And so the point from camp that we tried to make from this is that whether you realize it or not, you are in the middle of a race. There's a race that you are in the middle of And one thing that we need to understand about this race is that when you're a follower of Jesus, when you are saved, you are not saved to be a spectator. You are an active participant in the race of faith. And so we looked at that perspective on it during that night's lesson, but to me there's another perspective in this story as her father watching this unfold and that helpless feeling that I have of watching my child in this race and like completely worried about what's going to take place. And maybe you've experienced a similar situation. Maybe every day feels like that, where as a parent, you're watching your child in a race and you are so worried about what's going to happen. As, as a youth minister, I, I experienced this with the teenagers, watching them grow and seeing, you know, their relationships change and them change and worried about them. Like, what's going to happen to them? Man, they've made this mistake here, and how are they going to handle that? And part of it feels helpless sometimes, but at the same time, I have to recognize that we are not helpless in it. As a parent, we're not just a spectator in it. We have an important role that we get to play. As a church family, we have an important role that we get to play in our children as they run the race. 
We've been in a series for a, a number of weeks now going through the book of Ephesians. And Paul, in the book of Ephesians, he talks to parents for just a little bit. And there's this passage in Ephesians chapter 6 where he actually talks to the whole family. He talks to the kids and he talks to mom and dad. And he says this in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1 1 through 4. Paul writes this. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. I love to focus on that part, right? As parents, we love to focus on that part. Children, you should obey. There's a promise connected to that obedience, and that promise is that there's long life connected to it. And then Paul goes on further, and he gives special instruction to fathers. He says this in verse 4. Fathers, do not exasperate, do not irritate your children. Kids like that part, right? But we get this next part of it. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. See, as, as fathers, as parents, we have this great opportunity, this great responsibility. We get this amazing opportunity of bringing up our children in the training and instruction of the Lord. And my hope is that if you're here this morning, you recognize this. You see the value in doing this. If you're a father here today, that you recognize your important role in your children in their race of faith. You get to play the role, the part of helping to bring them up in the instruction and training of the Lord. The psalmist writes in Psalm 127, verse 3 through 5, says this about children. It says, children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward from him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their opponents in court. And so really the psalmist is pointing out to the reader here the joy and the blessing that children are to their parents. And I know sometimes it maybe doesn't always feel like that in the moment, but we have to recognize that children are a blessing. They're a joy. And there's also a responsibility connected to God blessing us with children. In 1 Kings chapter 2, we get this really cool scene between David the father and his son Solomon. And it says this in verse 1. It says, When the time drew near for David to die, he gave a charge to Solomon his son. Here's what he says. He says, I'm about to go the way of all the earth, he said. So be strong, act like a man, and observe what the Lord your God requires. And here's what that is. Walk in obedience to him and keep his decrees and commands, his laws and regulations as written in the law of Moses. Do this so that you may prosper in all you do and wherever you go, And that the Lord may keep his promise to me. If your descendants watch how they live, and if they walk faithfully before me with all their heart and soul, you will never fail to have a successor on the throne of Israel. Now, it's kind of a a special moment there between father and son as David says these kind of last words to Solomon. But I, I would bet you this is not the first time that David has shared this with his son. I don't believe this is like a deathbed confessional. I don't believe that David is like, oh man, I almost forgot to pass this important words of advice on to my son. I believe this is really just kind of a final reminder. Hey, remember all those things that I taught you when you were young? As you were growing as a boy and turned into this young man, I want you to remember those things. 
And so we see David, the father, reminding his child, reminding his son about all of these things that they, I'm sure, spent a lot of time focusing on and talking about as he grew. And so that quote at the beginning about you not being saved to be a spectator, I think there's truth in that. But I think also, sometimes as a parent, sometimes we can feel that way. We can feel like a spectator, like we're just watching helplessly as our children are running this race. And sometimes we're watching and we get to watch them succeed. But sometimes we watch them and we watch them make mistakes and sometimes fail and experience pain. But we need to recognize as fathers, as parents, as a church family, as we watch children running the race of faith, we are not just spectators. We are not just watching helplessly. We have an important role to play as our children run the race of faith. I believe we learn an important lesson about this, about fathers and how our Heavenly Father interacts with us and how he is not just a spectator with us in an important story in Luke chapter 15. And so if you want to turn there for just a minute, turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 15. There's a few famous parables that you're probably familiar with in that chapter in the Gospel of Luke. And one of the ones that I want to focus on is this family relationship between a father and his two boys. And it's the story of the prodigal son. And I believe it's an illustration of a lot of things, but specifically the challenge of fatherhood. The idea of allowing a child to make their own decisions. But also instilling in them principles. And while doing all of this, sometimes it can feel a little helpless. We can feel like we're spectating sometimes. And so I want us to look at the father's actions at the end of the story. But let me recap in case you're you know, a little unfamiliar with it. In this parable that Jesus tells, you have this father and his two sons. And the youngest brother decides he's kind of had enough. He goes to his father and asks for his inheritance. Now, when do you usually get inheritance? It's when the father passes away. So in a sense, he's really saying to his dad, hey, dad, I kind of wish that you were dead. Surely no kid would ever say that to their parents. But this is kind of what, kind of what he says, right? He says, I wish that you were dead. Can I have my inheritance? And this father gives the inheritance to his child. The child goes off, blows it all, lives a crazy life, does whatever he wants, and then is kind of in this bad spot and realizes the mistakes that they've made. And there's this reflective moment where this child is thinking about what they've done and realizing actually how much better they had it at home with their dad and decides, you know what, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and go back home. I'm going to try to ask for forgiveness. And maybe, just maybe, my dad will allow me to live the life as a servant because I know I don't deserve to be his son. And so that's where the story picks up, where I want us to pick up. In Luke chapter 15, verse 20, the son decides to come home. And so there's three things that I want us to take away from this, these you know, few verses in Luke chapter 15. Here's the first one about the father. The father demonstrates steadfast hope during the child's absence. In the story, the child has left home. And maybe you've experienced something like that before. And as the days and the months and sometimes years of this rebellion wear on, it can wear at the parent's heart. And it can be easy to become discouraged. It can become easy to give up hope of the child ever returning. But it's during those times when we need to depend on God all the more. 
And so in this story, the prodigal son's dad in this parable, I believe, is a wonderful example for us. He never gave up hope that his son would one day return. And in Luke chapter 15, verse 20, starts off by saying this. It says, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. And we'll stop there for a second. To me, I think this shows that the father was actively looking for his son. You don't notice things typically that are far off unless you're looking for them. And so I believe this shows us that the father never gave up hope. Never gave up hope of his prodigal son returning and coming back home. Second thing about the father. The father demonstrates loving compassion when the child draws near. Going on in verse 20, it says that the father was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. And something that I want to take for just a second is for fathers specifically. Fathers, when you have the opportunity to show loving compassion to your child, we need to take advantage of those moments. There are many long, hard days where maybe it doesn't feel like there is an opportunity or the right opportunity to express love for our children, but I think what we see here is here the father, when the moment came, took advantage of that opportunity to show his love for his son. Wasted no time. One translation says that his heart went out to him. And so how does he show this? Well, he ran to his son, he embraces his son, he kisses him. Now, it is unusual in their culture to run. It would have been unusual to see this father running. And part of the reason is he's wearing this robe and he would have had to lift the robe up awkwardly and run, holding his robe that way. But I think it's important that we recognize this. The father runs towards the son. There is a sign of compassion in the running. And also notice this. The father does all of this before his son ever says a word. So for us, if we're going to follow the example of this father, don't be distant. Affirm your love and affection for your child. Every opportunity that you get. Create those opportunities to affirm your love and affection for your child. The third thing is this from Luke 15. The father demonstrates joyful forgiveness when their child returns. And so let's read the next few verses starting in verse 21. It says this, The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Let's stop there for a second. Like, that makes me emotional to hear this. Like, think about this. The father running to the son, and the son saying to him, man, I messed up. I am not worthy to be your son. Like, that's heartbreaking, right? But notice what happens next in verse 22. It says, but the father said to his servants, here's his response, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet, Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate, for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they began to celebrate. A couple things to notice from this. Notice, you can't truly rejoice until your child confesses and repents. But also notice this too. There's no lecture And in fact, the son kind of tries to give the lecture himself. The son 
kind of maybe anticipating what the father might say or what he thinks the father might say, tries to jump the gun and say what he thinks should be said in this moment, tries to, to beat the father to the punch. When you confess to God, God doesn't hit us with a lecture. God forgives us. The heavenly father forgives us. In Psalm 32, verse 5, the psalmist says, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And what's next? Well, is it, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and God chewed me out? Uh, I felt really bad about it. I was given a guilt trip. Is it, uh, God gave me and I told you so? Well, the next part of the passage is different. It says, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. And so here's a question that the answer should be obvious. Did the son deserve this? Did he deserve this welcome back, this forgiveness? Of course not. He didn't deserve the honor of the robe, or the pledge of the ring, the welcome of the sandals, the slaughter of the calf, the celebration of a party. But what we get here is a picture of God's grace. Of the Heavenly Father coming to us. He honors us. God honors us and loves us with his everlasting love. And he welcomes us back as his sons and his daughters with the full rights and privileges of children within the home. And let us not lose sight of that. This is what the Heavenly Father does for us. He allows us to come back as his children. That forgiveness and grace that's offered even when we absolutely did not deserve it. There's a story as we kind of are approaching the Olympics. To me, one of the like most famous Olympic stories is the story of a, a British runner named Derek Redman. And you're probably familiar with the story, and if you're not, like this is a really cool story that you should go and watch the video too because it is uh, incredible. So a little background on it is for Derek Redmond, injuries consistently interrupted his career. At the 88 Olympics, he pulled out of the opening round of the 400 meters 90 seconds before his heat because of an injury to his Achilles tendon. Before the 1992 Summer Olympics, he had undergone eight operations due to injuries. Redmond was in good form by the time of the Barcelona Olympics. He posted the fastest time of the first round. He went on to win the quarterfinal. And in the semifinal, Redmond started well, but in the back straight, about 250 meters from the finish, his hamstring tore. He hobbled to a halt and then fell to the ground in pain. Olympic officials made their way over to him, but... Redmond decided that he wanted to finish the race. And if you've seen the video, the video is heartbreaking. He falls to the ground. He is in terrible agony and pain, but yet he desperately desires to finish the race. So he gets up and he's hobbling, but he is really struggling. And he begins to hobble along the track. And if you watch the video, you see this man kind of come out of the crowd. And some officials try to, to stop him, but the man comes up. And he puts Derek Redman's arm around him. And this man is Jim Redman. It's his father. And so Jim and Derek, they completed the lap of the track together, with Derek leaning on his father's shoulder for support. As they crossed the finish line, the crowd of 65,000 spectators rose to give Derek a standing ovation. However, 
as his father had helped him finish, Derek was officially disqualified and Olympic records state that he did not finish the race. Redmond's struggle in the 92 semifinal later became the subject of one of the International Olympic Committee's Celebrate Humanity videos, which proclaimed this, strength is measured in pounds, speed is measured in seconds, courage, you can't measure courage. So it's this really great picture of a son struggling to finish and the father coming to the son to finish alongside of him. Our Heavenly Father is not simply a spectator. He comes to us. Right when we need him the most, right when our lives are spinning out of control and we're desperately searching for hope and meaning and peace and purpose and grace and forgiveness, this God comes to meet us with our struggles, with our suffering, and our pain, maybe even at moments, especially at moments where we feel like we are struggling to finish. He runs to meet us. And I believe that picture is a great picture of what a loving father looks like. I believe the picture we're given in Luke 15 is a great picture of what our heavenly father looks like. But also a picture of amazing grace. Willingly offered to each of us. God helping us finish the race that he has already won on our behalf. There's this uh, Christian song that was put out years ago by uh, the band Casting Crowns, and it's called Love Moved First. And the beginning of the song especially is about this story in Luke 15 of the prodigal son. And I want to read to you just a few of the lyrics from the song. I will not sing it to you this morning, but I'll read to you a few of the lyrics. And so here's what it says. This is the story of a runaway with no way home and no way out. I threw the best of me away. I had my chance. It's too late now. Too far gone and too ashamed. To think that you'd still know my name. But love refused to let my story end that way. You didn't wait for me to find my way to you. I couldn't cross that distance even if I wanted to. You came running after me when anybody else would have turned and left me at my worst. Love moved first. And there's another line later that they repeat in the chorus that I love. It's just you know, two simple lines, and it says, Your cross is the proof. Love made the first move. You see, at moments where we are struggling and suffering and hurting and we don't think that we can finish, we need to recognize that God moved first. He came to us first. He's not watching from the stands, kind of shaking his head with, I told you so, when we mess up. That's not what God's doing at all. He is running to meet us, ready to embrace us. But as children, just like in the story of the prodigal son, we have a responsibility to repent. We need to go to the Father as well and meet him. And when we do, we need to repent and confess our sins. We need to ask him for that forgiveness that he so willingly offers to us as he runs to meet us. This morning, maybe you're here, and maybe you need to come to the Father. Maybe you recognize that you are the prodigal son who has left home and that you need to come back to our heavenly father. Well, know that he is running to meet you and that love moved first and that the cross is the proof of this love. That he made this decision to send his son Jesus Christ, that he's won the race for you. All you have to do is respond to his invitation 
And so we want to present that invitation to you this morning. This invitation of giving your life to Christ, of receiving the grace and the forgiveness that he so willingly offers to you. And so maybe you need to make that decision like a couple of our students did just this past week of giving your life to Christ in baptism. Or maybe you're here and you're already a follower of Jesus, but you've drifted away and you need to make the decision to come back to God. He is waiting with open arms and he offers you the robe and the ring and the sandals and an opportunity for all of us to celebrate when you decide to come back to him. Whatever need you have this morning, whatever way we can encourage and pray for you, Won't you come now as together we stand and sing this invitation song?